So welcome to Talking True Crime. I'm Mark Williams-Thomas and this is the first edition of our podcast. It's going to come to you live. We're going to talk about real issues, issues that affect you and I, things that we hear in the news and we're going to open up to discussion. So we want your involvement. So as the podcast get going, more people know about it. I want you to become the audience. I want you to interact with me, ask me questions, ask my guests questions. And as we go along, we'll be honest, we'll be frank and we'll be open to you. Our first guest, which I will come to very shortly, is someone who has got a huge amount of journalistic experience. And actually, he's going to set up the whole purpose of these podcasts. But before we do that, Let's just look at a number of cases that have appeared in the news over the recent weeks. Garrick, this is a PC who was investigated by the police on a number of occasions, but as a result of total failures, and I mean total failures, they investigated him nine times. And as a result of that, they didn't even know that he was a police officer. He got investigated for an allegation of rape in 2021. And following that investigation, the victim withdrew their allegation. But rather than continue to keep him under investigation, they allowed him to return back to duties. Shocking case. At the end of this, I'm going to talk to you about a number, number of other cases. But before that, let's get going because I don't want to take up too much time. So Toby, I'm going to let him introduce himself. But Toby is my boss. He is really the backbone of NewsQuest. And I want to talk to him about a number of issues that exist within journalism at present moment in time and get a flavour of what's happening at NewsQuest. So welcome, Toby. Thank you for joining me. Hello, Mark. Good to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you. So, Toby, just give me a background of your work. Sure. Um, well, I've been in journalism now for around 30 years um, and uh, my current role is editorial director of NewsQuest, which means I'm kind of leading the strategy across our 200 news brands that we have now across the UK. Um, and it's a very exciting role. And previous to this, I was the editor of the Dorset Echo and Bournemouth Echo. But I started my uh, career um, in, on Sunday People um, back in uh, 1990. And there's a picture of you. So that uh, you look a little bit younger there. They are some new new, uh, new trainees that we've got, <laughs> the next generation. And what, tell me, at school, did you have an interest in journalism at school? Um, yeah, I, was, I did do a lot of uh, creative writing. I did seem to be pretty good. Uh, it was one of the, the few things that, that I was good at at school, was writing. I had a good imagination. So, um, you know, and... Uh, my parents actually bought me my first typewriter when I was eight years old, where I used to sit, sit you know, and uh, spend my evenings and weekends <laughs> typing out imaginary stories. And I suppose, you know, so I suppose it was kind of inevitable that I would end up uh, in journalism. And, and in terms of the role that you do now, how many people are you responsible for? And, uh, yeah, what's your day-to-day -day work? Well, I mean, there's no real kind of two days at the same. Um, there's uh, underneath me. There's um, there's a uh, um, as I said, 200 news brands, and each of those, you know, many of those have got editors. There's about 35 editors now across NewsQuest that are um, responsible for those titles. 
And, um, you know, my day-to-day -day could be that I could be having meetings with editors. I've just come off a, a call just now of one of our regions uh, of editors and their MDs. And, you know, and really what we do is we talk through whether or not they're on track for, you know, the strategy and whether there's more that we can do to help coach their teams to to get where they need to be. So, so you know, my, my kind of brief really is, is that, you know, we need to accelerate um, our kind of audience size, but at the same time, make our titles as sustainable as possible um you know which you know obviously has its challenges um but you know before covid i was obviously traveling around quite a lot we've got we've got you know titles away from scotland to devon um and now you know since then i've um i'm, I'm doing a lot more teams but i'm also currently responsible for the south coast region so i'll spend some time in those newsrooms as well because you know i like to uh you know, keep my hand in and, uh, and and keep abreast of everything that's going on because the situation in the industry and, and what newsrooms are doing is evolving so quickly. And journalism's changed so much. You know, gone are the days where it was just simply newspapers, they got delivered through your door. Now, of course, you're getting news on all kinds of different formats, whether that be through social media, whether that be through a website. It's really changed. It has. And, you know, and it's actually, you know, a really good time to talk about this because... This week, there was new publicity out by the uh, the News Media Association around the fact that 40 million people now read local news, which is 75% of the population of Britain. Oh, and lot. I think that's a, it's absolutely astonishing. Mm. And what and as you what you were saying there about you know people, a lot of people you know say with a printed newspaper, we've actually now got more readers than we ever had done before, and that's due to the internet, you know, where we get huge audience yeah. and that brand loyalty. So you know, and I think. With COVID in particular, um, we really came into our strength then because people were turning to us as the kind of trusted local news source against, you know, all of the rubbish and rumour on social media about what was happening with the pandemic. And I think as a result from that, we've actually seen trust grow in our local news brands. And, um, and you know, and I think that's that's really says it all really about the fact that we've been here for 100 years and you can see why, you know, we want to be here for 100 years more. And trust is such an important thing. Of course, we can all remember fake news and uh, you know, the whole issues that come out of President Trump. And, and, and trust is one of those things that once you've lost it, it's really hard to get back. Do you think that local journalism in, uh, generates more trust than national journalism? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we've actually seen our, there's been a survey recently that's seen our trust go up by 7% from where it was in 2018. And I think that, you know, as I said, that the, the national, we, we kind of really need to kind of, you know, make sure that people don't associate us too much with some of the, you know, past practices of what happened with national brands, uh, in particular, you know, the phone hacking, um, yeah. You know, because obviously that's the sort of thing that's really damaging for for us as an industry. I did that damage you? I mean, obviously Leveson came out of the news of the world that was shut down as a result of phone hacking, and Leveson one you know identified some serious failings from journalists in the way that they worked with police and other officials, and in terms of how some journalists obtained their information. Did that affect you at NewsQuest? It didn't affect us at NewsQuest because you know we are. We haven't got national brands and we weren't in the practice of what they were with, you know, phone hacking and, uh, and the issues that they were having with payments to police, etc. You know, we, um, uh, you know, we uh, have never been involved in those kind of, you know, bad practices. 
So as a consequence of that, I think that we've managed to, you know, remain, you know, that tr those trusted local news brands that we have. Um, and as we've seen our trust grow, I think that kind of really, you know, demonstrates the fact that people do rely on us for trusted local news. And what about the demographics? So young people are consuming news in a very different way. I don't know how many young people would buy a newspaper now, read a newspaper, but they do consume it on their phone. Again, yeah. you know, I watch the 10 o'clock news and it's kind of a, it's a thing that I grew up with. But I don't think many young generation now would watch the 10 o'clock news. They consume the news at the certain points during the day. Definitely. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, what we found is, is when, when I started going into um, talk to students at, at universities, I'm, you know, involved in Bournemouth University and, um, and uh, I'm the industry advisor for that. And I go in and I talk to the students quite a bit. And um, a few years ago, when I was uh, going in and talking to the students and I was asking them, you know, do they buy a newspaper? Do they read a newspaper? And they were very much kind of, well, no, we don't because, you know, our parents, you know, read the newspaper, but we don't. Well, when we went more recently, when I've gone in and spoken to them and about our brand and are you aware of these brands and, and, uh, and the kind of journalism that we're doing, many of them now were because they were looking at us. They, they can see us now on TikTok. They are signed up to our newsletter. They see us on Facebook. So I think that they, they're not buying a newspaper. They're not reading the newspaper, that generation. But, but thanks to the, the Internet and the social platforms that we now have, we are managing to engage with that that much younger demographic that we never would have done otherwise. And you've got a really exciting new program. In fact, I'm going to give uh, one of the lectures in relation to investigative journalism, which is really trying to embrace the younger generation and, and introduce them into journalism. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So what it is is um, um, we've uh, we've embarked on a, a new project. Uh, which is the NewsQuest investigations team, and uh, it comes off the back of obviously uh, what you know hiring new Mark to come in and, and work with our teams, which has been you know ama amazing for us uh, with your experience. And you know what we've done is, is we've launched the the uh, the NewsQuest True Crime platform on uh, on YouTube, where yourself and uh, a couple of other journalists of like Jody Doherty Co, for example, have been producing really good, compelling true crime. Uh, documentary series and what we want to do now is get more involved with our newsrooms so with the NewsQuest investigations team we've got around 40 to 50 of our journalists that are situated in different areas of our business who are going to be trained by you and your team Mark to become the best possible investigative journalism that we can have and that means that uh, they're going to then be able to embark on doing some of the podcasts and videos that we want them to do uh, in the coming weeks and months, which is, is going to be phenomenal because, you know, the, the investigative journalism is so important. And if we haven't got journalists doing the kind of undercover work and the kind of exposing, you know, and shaming and, you know, people that are wrongdoing, then, you know, we've, you know we, we, we may as well just hang up our coats and leave because, you know, there, there are people there that will get away with things if we aren't there to expose them. Uh, investing in journalism is so key. I mean, I, my view of it in terms of journalism as a whole is that if you don't have investigative journalism, journalism fall down because it is so integral in terms of us holding other people to account, the police, the authorities, you know, local authorities, individuals. And if we don't hold them to account, then who does? And of course, the public are looking for us to get answers when things have gone wrong. And what I love about local journalism is the familiarity 
uh, and the closeness that they can have with local communities in order to get to the heart of issues, issues that perhaps won't necessarily get picked up on a national level, but really mean something on a local level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's this, you know, there's, there's this whole thing about the, the local ecosystem with news, which the average reader won't know about, because, you know, if it's not a Westminster story or a celebrity story, the chances are what people are reading on national news websites originated on a local news website like ours, you know, and then sold onto them. So without local news brands like ours, there's going to be very little content in existence that's not about, you know, Westminster and celebrities. You know, the BBC don't break stories, they just, you know, follow up ours. Um, so without us creating all this content, the ecosystem is going to suffer as a consequence. Um, you know, we lobby MPs about this and, you know, let's face it, some are pretty keen, you know, that we're not around to scrutinise them and hold them to our account. But, you know, fundamentally, you know, if we're not here, there is no news. No, and I think that's really important. I think people miss it. You know, they, they go to national news because they think, oh, okay, you know, there's national news, it's, it's whatever, whatever that national supplier is. But the news has come from a regional level. It all starts at a local level and therefore it gets fed into it. And I think very often, you know, I'm great one of praising the ability of local journalists. I think we need to do that more. And, and I think the public often forget that actually that's where it comes from. You know, those big crime stories, they started in a village somewhere and then they escalated up to a national level. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that, you know, that's what's really important about, you know, why local news needs to survive. Um, you know, you, there could be crooked councillors, celebrity paedophiles, powerful people. They all need to be held account for their wrongdoing. Um, and, you know, and without that, you know, there is a danger that that type of journalism won't happen. And all those stories of wrongdoing and, you know, corruption will go unreported, which is, you know, a real danger for uh, the future of journalism. Do you think journalism has suffered massively in recent years? Funding obviously has been an issue, but do you think the trust that we talked about at the beginning has put people off? I don't think um, the trust issue has at all. I mean, the, 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 the biggest problem for our industry is the, is the future, you know, of the funding of the business model. Um, because, you know, the government ad spend, for example, with the big tech platforms just completely dwarfs the spend in local news media. And that's despite our huge reach and our high levels of public trust. You know, something like 3% of its advertising budget was spent in local news media last year compared to 17 percent which was spent with google and facebook and you know that's crazy when you consider that we reach more people in our local news areas than facebook does which is now actually declining you know in audience as more of their readers are turning to sort of TikTok and snapchat for news and how important do you think social media is i mean have you had to change a, a business model to incorporate social media, the likes of Twitter and, and uh, TikTok, for example, in the way that you put news out? And I know we're obviously using it very much for the crime network, but local reporters? I think we have to go just where the audience is. And, you know, if the audience, you know, when the audience was on Facebook, you know, that's where we had to start, send, you, know, send, you know, sending our readers and our news to make sure that we got those, you know, those readers to our website back. I think with Twitter, it's quite different in, uh, 
it's much more of a kind of source of news or a way to you know debate news issues it's not really where we would get you know it's kind, of, it's kind of platform for breaking news is twitter it's become that kind of platform where a lot of stories break on twitter it has yeah it has absolutely and you know um uh, the government the government local and national will use it police will use it but nevertheless um you know we you know nevertheless we still have to go back and check what they're doing because the police for example will use twitter for breaking news um and they think and they will dictate what we know and only a, only a very small percentage of crimes that are happening in the uk will actually be publicized by the police it's not a case now of where we used to have local reporters, for example, going into visit the police station, sitting down there, going through the book with the, with the, with the cops and, and looking at every single spit and cough that happened in their, on their beat that week. Mm. Those books are closed now. That access has been shut down. There's now just press officers uh, that the gatekeepers to what the public knows. We've done FOIs on this sort of thing before, and it's incredible the amount of crimes that go unreported because the police do not want to tell people what's going on. And that's why, you know, we need to have this investigation unit at NewsQuest because we can actually uncover that sort of, you know, material and make sure the public know. Yeah, and I think one of the massive things is that it's quite interesting how, certainly when I was in the police, you know, we'd have court reporters there all the time, they'd come to the trials. Of course, a lot of that has died, albeit NewsQuest thankfully still has a court reporter system not everywhere but but in a lot of places and that information obviously is then fed into the nationals and it's quite interesting the amount of murders murder investigation murder trials that happen at court that never see the light of day yeah that's right and um, i think you know, we have got court reporters across the country we make sure that uh, all of our big dailies are represented in court with journalists and you know and it's a great way as well to get the human side from the family because quite mm. often the police will say oh the family don't want to talk to you but we'll actually find that we go there we build that relationship and we actually then get the human side of the story which is really important but there are you know lots of you know um you know crimes that do go unreported in the courts we make sure that we publicize those so people you know can see that open justice i mean i'm a, I'm a massive advocate of uh, open justice and uh, and it's almost like there isn't a day go by that that you know some criminal in court is trying to plead an anonymity, which you know we then get our legal representatives to go in and challenge because the fact you know and our reporters will stand up in court. And you've had some great results, haven't you? You've challenged yeah. you've challenged exactly. cases. There was a recent case that uh, was challenged by by one of the Newsquest reporters, and and actually got the um, you know the sanctions lifted, so the name yeah. could be reported. Yeah, and you know, and I, you know, took a call last night about uh, you know some something similar, uh, where you know criminals will say you know oh, my mental health or they'll 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 say that their mental health will be affected or they'll be suicidal you know and these are these are real serious criminals like paedophiles who are trying to get anonymity based on their their mental health which is absolutely appalling. Uh, the public have a right to know who these people are, and it's you know and and that's why we insist on having a court reporter at every one of our daily newspapers that's in court and reporting on these people to make sure that they're publicised and named and shamed for what they've done. Tell me a little bit about the people you interview some people, obviously not that many people, but you do interview some people. Tell me about the, the young journalists that are coming through. What is it that they're looking for and what are, what level are they, at, are they at? Well, I mean, the um, the young journalists coming through, I mean, I, 
you know, I do uh, get involved at uh, uh, quite a, you know, a level um, to start with because I've launched a, an apprenticeship scheme um, with uh, NewsQuest and we've also got the Young Reporters Scheme, which we're starting um, at the end of this month, um, which is actually working with schools, with young journalists that are 15, 16 years old who are really interested in the Korean journalism. And we're hoping that uh, we've got 30 pupils from across the UK signed up to it at the moment from schools. And we're hoping that, um, you know, we can get, you know, some of our... Uh, and that's uh, completely new, isn't it? It's new for NewsQuest, but actually in journalism, it's new as well. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a brand new scheme. There isn't a, another scheme like it, um, the Young Reporter Scheme. And, you know, fundamentally what it is, is we're going to be giving mini masterclasses for the next few months with the hope that, some of these 30 will actually say they want to be a journalist and will come in and join our four-year apprenticeship scheme which they could start at 16 and it also means that um you know they can be fully qualified by the age of 20 they haven't had the cost of university and they've managed to hit the ground running and coming in and be working on breaking news stories um you know they're all very digitally focused already because they use all of the social media apps to communicate with their friends so to have them out covering you know live on facebook you know it isn't a uh, a big deal how would somebody so if you're you're a school and you're not really sure what you want to do but actually you do enjoy writing you enjoy journalism how would they get onto this scheme well the best thing they can do to get onto this scheme is to contact me or my email address which is toby.granville at newsquest.co.uk um you know we want to encourage as many as uh, schools as possible to get on board uh, we've been, you know, we've been very pleased with how it's going so far for the first year. And the aim is to have, you know, an apprentice in every one of our newsrooms through this scheme uh, across the UK. And, you know, and some of our apprentices have gone on to be, you know, brilliant journalists um, already. Uh, the ones that we've had through the, the normal apprentice scheme that we've been running. But, um, but it's really, you know, and it's a great way for us as well to get more diversity into the newsroom, which I'm really keen on building on. And in terms of what bothers you, what troubles you, story-wise, that you just think, you know what, I just want to know more about that, or when it happens, it makes your blood boil? Yeah, I mean, I generally get really worked up quite a bit about stories about the criminal justice system, you know, open justice, the poor sentencing of criminals in the UK. Um, you know, when you look at the records of some of the worst criminals in this country and their sentences are so lenient, uh, absolutely, you know, sickens me. I mean, and, and, you know, as an industry, we should be really doing more to campaign about the fact that, you know, women and children in our communities aren't safe to, to walk the streets. I mean, it's those, it's those sort of stories, the stories that we're going to be covering, you know, in the true crime. I mean, I've, you know, the recent, you know, um, uh, sentencing of, you know Wayne Cousins and you know now David Carrick and this week you know another Met Police Chief Inspector you know Richard Watkinson you know facing charges for child abuse images I mean that's three senior Met police officers it's just incredible I mean that's the sort of thing that makes my blood boil and you know and 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 the, and the fact is is that you know that trust in the community you know the communities that we're serving you know, we want our, the people who live in our communities to feel safe. And if they can't even feel safe from the police, who can they feel safe by? Well, we, Those are the sorts of things that make my blood boil. Absolutely. I mean, police officers, obviously, being a former police officer, you've got Cousins, you've got Carrick, and you've got Watkins. You know, these these are three big cases that have come to attention in the last you know, three, four days. 
And I think one of the massive problems is that it then it then tars everybody with the same brush. You know, I had a, a police officer that messaged me yesterday and their plea was, please, please, can we get some messages? Can we let the public know we're not all like that? You know, it is the minority. And one of the criticisms that they're applying currently is they don't feel supported by the senior officers. The senior officers come out and talk and say, look, you know, this was shot by this. It's appalling. But they don't go and tell them and say, do you know what? Rank and file officers up and down, you know, not just in the Metropolitan Police, but up and down the country are doing a brilliant job. And they are doing a brilliant job. It's the minority that affect it for everybody else. And of course, they're shocking. I mean, I think one of the things about society and life is that we know about cases because they're so shocking and because they don't happen every single day. If they happened every single day, there'd be a normality. We'd go, well, it happens every day, so what? No, we know about it. We talk about it because they are so horrific. I mean, the reality of having a chief inspector who at home has a closet which was full of child abuse material, stories, other related child material and clothing, serving and in a position of authority to that degree is truly shocking. And it does ask the question, and I, and I think it's a question that we as a society have to address, but certainly the police has to address is, what type of people are now getting into the police service? Yeah. In my day, as a police officer, when you applied to become a police officer, you had the local sergeant come and visit you at home, you go through a real scrutiny in terms of recruitment. That is not happening, and I'll tell you why it's not happening. Because there are currently, or there were, 30,000 police officers needed to be recruited. And in order to get that number up, they had to drop some of the requirements of recruitment because, of course, not everybody would fit that. They wouldn't be able to get 30,000. And that results in some of those people who should not be in the police force in the force. Yeah, absolutely. I agree, you know, 100 percent. And I saw a report yesterday to say that they're going to be doing uh, criminal record checks on all of the existing police force. Why wasn't that done when they when they started? You know, yeah. I mean, you know, it's absolutely shocking to think that these people who are meant to be protecting us, are, you know, are actually some of the worst criminals among them. And it's just absolutely stunning. I really, you know, it really needs, you know, to be, you know, completely redone from start to finish the the police force because that's the only way there's going to be any trust there needs to be some serious fundamental changes yeah i mean i think for example how can carrick between 2000 and, uh sorry 2020 and 2021 be investigated nine times nine times for allegations of a rape and still be in a job he was investigated in 2021 for an allegation of rape but he was put on light duties. What? Suspend the man. And whilst that suspension goes on, investigate. And when the allegation was dropped, he was allowed to return back to duties. But some of the most sensitive duties, he held a gun. He was responsible for the policing of the prime minister. How is that possible? How is it possible that a person who's been suspended, how is it possible that a person who's been investigated for rape is carrying a gun and he's on duty. I mean, I find that absolutely incredible, don't you? I do, I do. I mean, it's jaw-dropping stuff, it really is. Uh, I mean, and the fact that, you know, Wayne Cousins' nickname was The Rapist, you know, and, you know, and David Carrick's nickname was The Bastard, 
you know, and it's kind of like, well, if that was their nickname, surely that should have been some red flags yeah. right away, you know. And 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 you know, this is the this is the, the thing about it is that all of these things could have been stopped, you know, before they happened. The worst possible crimes could have been stopped if the police had done their job properly with these guys that have, that have now, you know, been one of the, been one of the worst criminals in the country and in in our history. For the type of crimes that they've now been responsible for um, and it's quite incredible that an individual can be arrested for an allegation yet the police not check out their job yeah exactly i mean it's just absolutely smacks of a complete you know cover up and keep it all hushed up um and you know any policeman that's got any criminal record or criminal tendency should simply not be in the job it's just yeah do you know i find that really interesting because that's my view my view is if you have a criminal record with the exception of perhaps something as a very young person that you did which was a minor you know criminal damage or something which you can explain you know it was a moment of time uh, and it was a long time ago but anybody who has any substantial offenses I am astonished that they are allowed to be a police officer. And, and I'm sorry, you know, if I held a position of politician, I would I would simply say if you have a if you have a conviction of dishonesty, theft, you know, uh, sexual offence, you cannot be a police officer. I don't see how you can uphold the law when you've broken the law. Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. So, Toby, what's in the round the corner? So, obviously, we've got this great new podcast that we're doing now, and we've got some yeah. really exciting guests that are coming on. We've got some characters who I know personally. Um, I went through my my address book with with Jody, and the two of us looked at our address book, and and it's amazing as you go through some of the characters I've met over the years, and so I'm going to try and get some of them to come on. And in engaging them in a way that is probably slightly different to what they would normally talk about, in a fun, interesting way, but also delve to the, to the bottom of some of the issues. So we're going to get David Swindle in. David Swindle was the officer that led the Tobin investigation from Scotland. And he's a great character. I know him very, very well. And he's got some fascinating stories. Peter Falding. Peter Falding runs Specialist Group International. They are a company that goes out and works for police primarily diving so they go and sadly recover bodies from water uh, and also evidence so they'll search perhaps an area looking for a gun or a safe or an item that's been used in crime uh, but he also does uh, digs uh, and i use that in a term where he would be called into an area perhaps where a body could have been buried or evidence could have been buried and he and his team will look for that and they'll use great techniques they'll use there's something that's called a magnetometer, which shows the disturbance in the, in the ground. They'll use ground-penetrating radar, again, which uses uh, radar waves in and out of the ground to show where there's an anomaly, where perhaps a body could be buried. And, and as well as that, I'm going to get involved a couple of politicians that I know, get them past and present involved. They're always great to talk to because they've always got a, an opinion. That's one of the great things about politicians. And, and yeah, I get people who are happy to challenge me as well. You know, I, I'm quite happy to be put onto the spot in terms of what I've done and ask some of those questions. So I think as those weeks go on, we're going to get some really interesting characters. And then the other thing we're going to do is every week we're going to get somebody from NewsQuest to come on and and celebrate journalism celebrate journalism from a local level but also crucially cover some of those stories which mean a lot to local communities 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, actually. I think there's going to be some fantastic guests on here. It's another pioneering uh, a podcaster. You know, we've never actually, you know, done before um, anything like this. And uh, and I think, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely, you know, love the whole kind of true crime podcast. I mean, you know, there's been some great ones that have been done across across in the US and uh, in Australia. I mean, you look at, you know, what I'm really hoping for is, is that we start getting more and more of our local journalists involved in those. You know, the thing, you know, the ones that really make a big difference, you know, like something like, you know, Serial, which was, you know, yeah. the first true crime podcast I listened to. It really hooked me and in. Teachers, teachers' Pet from Australia. The Teachers' Pet, which <laughs> resulted in the teachers' trial, Hedley Thomas of the Australian newspaper, doing an amazing job. Uh, he's just exposed a government-run DNA clinic that's been running DNA samples incorrectly, which is going to result in thousands of retests and retrials. So, you know, that's the kind of thing, the, the thing that actually makes a big difference, the kind of investigative journalism that really matters. And if if we can get, you know, I'll, 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 you know, train journalists at NewsQuest, they've been trained by the NCTJ, which is, you know, the gold standard for the industry for journalism training, we're going to be, you know, helping them get skilled up as well with, you know, investigative skills. And I think, you know, coupled with with all of that, you know, I think that we're going to be doing some game-changing, you know, award-winning journalism. And um, we've got some great, talented journalists at NewsQuest. My view is, is that our journalists are the best in the industry. Um, they're all very enthusiastic. You know, they love doing all of this stuff that's kind of new and innovative. And, um, and I can't wait for us to get started. No, is it, there's exciting times ahead, isn't there? And I think, you know, new year, new challenges, new podcast series. And I think the podcast series is going to be quite fascinating because people love talking. And, and one of the things people often say to me is, well, when you go and talk to people, and of course I talk to people all the time, whether they've been done something wrong or whether they're helping me, one of the things that people often say to me is, well, how do you get them to talk? Well, the reality is, is that most people like talking. If you sat most people down and you, once you've done the, you know, the, the introduction and they feel fairly comfortable talking to you, they'll talk, they'll open up. And, and therefore, it's very rare that I go to someone's house for whatever reason, whether they've done something bad or not, that I can't get them to talk. And I think those are skills from a local journalism level that we need to keep encouraging. We need to get people out and about. One of the things that I am very critical about is journalism can't be done behind the desk. You need to get out, you need to go and see people, you need to talk to people. That's journalism. Yeah, it is. And, uh, and you know, and that's absolutely key. I mean, we've kept all of our newsrooms, you know, in, in across the country. And so the, a lot of our journalists are actually working in a newsroom and they can be sent out there on to, to, to speak to the relevant people. Um, you know, you can't, you, there's no better journalism than actually being out on the street and actually talking to people. You know, it, it can't be done through text and social media. You, you don't build up a rapport, you don't build up trust. People are going to open up to you by, you know, if we see with our court reporters, they go to, to the court, but getting the what happened in the, in the courts is just one part of the story. You know, the rest of the story is about the people and getting the people to talk to you and, and humanising it so people can relate to that story. And so you can't do journalism behind a desk. You've got to be out there face to face talking to people and getting their stories. Absolutely. And, and uh, one of the things about this podcast, it's going to be live. So we as we get known and people join us over their lunch break, we want you to send us 
questions, ask us questions, and you know, engage with us properly. And we've got Patsy who sent us a message, and she basically said we need more independent journalists, uh, those that can reach the public, and many of the public have lost trust in some of the regular news outlets like the BBC and Sky. I think that's a pretty fair you know, analogy. I don't, I don't think that's a criticism necessarily of the BBC and, and Sky individual reporters. I think it's because, you know, generally national news is being trusted less than regional news. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, I mean, I don't know about, you know, Sky. I actually think that, you know, Sky News is a, a great broadcasters. And in fact, you know, Mark Austin, who, who's one of, you know, one of yeah, the Yeah, I know Mark well. He's a great he's guy. A, yeah. He's an ex, ex, he started his career on Bournemouth Echo, you know. Really? So, um, well, get Mark on board then. So, um, great. Yeah. Mark came yeah. from, from Bournemouth. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I think that, you know, and, and you know, a, a, you know, people like Kay Burley, I mean, they all started in local news, uh, yeah. you know, papers. And, and, you know, and that's why I always tell journalists, you know, and I think the Sky is very a very good operation. The um, the BBC, you know, has obviously lost a lot of trust, you know, through a number of situations, you know, the Jimmy Savile situation. You Cliff know, Richard. Cliff Richard. And, and more recently, obviously, with, uh, with the Princess Diana, um, you know, falsifying uh, the, uh, the 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 facts the that Bashir, came out the about Bashir, that. Whole Martin Bashir situation. Yeah, exactly, Martin Bashir. So I think that um, you know, and you only have to go on social media and and, and look at the comments underneath uh, about the BBC to see that you know people have lost trust in the BBC. You know, they've um, you know, and and you know, and so that's why more and more people I think are turning to our our local news um because they know that you know they can trust us um and and rightly so because that's what we work to do every single day brilliant patsy i should put my glasses on properly or should clean them anyway so patsy said stv not sky um All right. stv yeah i mean i've done a little bit of work up in scotland uh in terms of filming up there i don't know stv that well but i think the problem with all of the national outlets is that from a trust level, you know, they've all all had certain things that have gone wrong for them. And some of that is about an eagerness to be the first. I mean, I think one of the things that, um, uh, that I often say to people when I'm talking to journalists is just be really careful. You might be want to be the first, but if you get it wrong, yeah, you know, you, you will be remembered. Just take a little bit of time and get it right and get that information out there. And I think, I saw it after Savile, you know, there was this real desire from outlets to be the first to break the next story. And we saw it with BBC Newsnight when they went after uh, McAlpine. You know, I remember in the afternoon of the or head of broadcast, I remember the reporter talking to me and said, look, Mark, we've got this story. We're going to go with it. And I said, are you sure it's right? I said, you know, there's just some stuff doesn't seem to add up and it doesn't connect with all I'm, what I've been dealing with, but it just doesn't seem to connect. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're sure, we're certain. Anyway, and it, of course, it broadcast and then it transpires that the, you know, they completely got the wrong person. And, and that's about journalism being, uh, you know, knowing their trade but also being in a position where they, you know, they, they've done the groundwork. And I think it's very easy to cut corners in journalism. And of course, when you get it wrong, you can get it massively wrong. I mean, I know when we, head of broadcast of Savile, 
I remember talking to Leslie, my producer, and I said to her, look, you know, if this doesn't hit big and if it doesn't go and the public don't come on our side, we will probably never work in journalism again. We'll certainly be never making, you know, high profile television programs. Uh, and thankfully, you know, the public did come on board. It stayed on the front pages for 41 consecutive days. And it was a huge story, but it could have all gone wrong. And I think, you know, the highs in journalism are massive. I mean, Toby, you're, you, you know that as a journalist, when you get a story and you put it out there, the highs are massive, but the lows are very low as well. Yeah, and I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, was, when I started out, you, you know, there was uh, the worst thing was was getting hold of the story and then knowing that because we didn't have the internet, <laughs> having to sit on it for a, for a week, you know, up to a week sometimes yeah. you know, before you're publishing it. And every day you're hoping that, you know, your, you know, your competitor or the BBC or, you know, someone else hasn't got the story. And now the, 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 the problem is, is there is this huge rush because news is instant, you know, and, uh, and if you do get it wrong, as you say, you're stuffed, you know, and we did used to be, it was all about being first, and, you know, and best, but now it's very much, we've got to be, you know, we want to be first, but we need to be best. And sometimes, as you say, the first people to break the story could could have upset the people involved in the story. Um, and then that's our opportunity really to, to go in and smooth things over and then try and get, you know, it done in, in, a, in a more professional way. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that is the issue now, as you say, is about getting it right. And, uh, and you know, and the, particularly the journalism that we're going to be doing at NewsQuest, um, we, we can't afford to get that wrong. And we, and, but, but, we can take our time and make sure that we've got it right. Well, Toby, brilliant having you on board. I'm really excited by our new venture. Uh, it's so going to be brilliant. I think we've got the great opportunity. We've got a great platform and some of the characters we're going to get on board to come and talk and, and be with me. I think it's going to be fascinating. So listen, if you're watching this or you're catching it up a little bit later, please do join us twice weekly. So predominantly on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So twice weekly, we'll give some promotion ahead of who's coming on and interact with us. Send us messages, ask us some questions or send us some questions in advance that you'd like us to put to people. Maybe even suggest people that you'd like to get on board. Not all everyone's going to come on board. One of the things that will often happen is that some people don't like to be questioned by me. I remember doing an article or a, a report for the ITN News, the Six o'clock News, and it was about Facebook. And I had very good relationships with Facebook at the time. And I phoned Facebook press office up and I said, listen, we've got this story we're going to run. It's on the national news. It's quite big. Would someone give us an interview? And the press officer, who I knew very well, said to me, Mark, there's no way I'm putting somebody up to be interviewed by you. <laughs> And I went, well, hang on a minute. You know, I, I'm just going to ask them the straight questions. But I think it's you, you, you have a duty to as an organisation. They said, well, we're not going to do that. But I hope you know, those people who are robust enough, you know, uh, have made whatever decisions they've had in the right way will come on board and we can have a proper chat. But so do please join us twice weekly. Let your friends know, let your family know. Record it. Perhaps watch it a bit later. But please join us. It's a really exciting uh, new venture. Toby, it's been brilliant having you on board. What's the rest of the day look like? Well, actually, I'm going into Bournemouth University to do a news day with the students, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. 
uh, hoping to see them some talent. We've we've managed to hire a few from there before uh, right. the last couple of years, and uh, and it's really great to sort of see the students and see how they're developing their journalism skills. And how do you relax, Toby? How do I relax? I uh, I go for a run normally. Um, uh, there's <laughs> there you are. Or, or I, uh, is that you relaxing in your hot tub in your uh, palatial garden? <laughs> yeah, but I do try. Yeah, I've um, I spend a lot of time with my daughters. My uh, one of my, my my daughters both play sport, and so one of my, I'm going off to uh, see her play football in a couple of matches over the weekend, which I'm looking forward to as well. So. Yeah, I generally try and unwind through uh, through some kind of uh, working out or trying to be, you know, lift a pathetic amount of weights in the gym. And mental health, just before we finish, and mental health is a big issue. Of course, we now talk about it. You know, I've suffered my own mental health, but it is really important. And it's something that certainly NewsQuest, you know, put a lot of attention to. Yeah, we do. We do have, uh, you know, a mental health advisor, have you know, uh, who works for our company. I mean, we do, particularly, I think, with people working, you know, at home in isolation. Um, that's why, you know, we were so keen to have newsrooms, because I think that, you know, and keep them open. Some publishers closed them, you know, once COVID was over. Mm -hmm. But we were really keen to keep them open because it's so important, you know, not just for the skills that journalists pick up, from one another by sitting there in a the newsroom, but for their mental health as well, um, having other people to talk to. You know, these jobs, you know, journalism, you know, it can be a very, you know, solitary job. And, uh, and you know, and obviously, you know, sometimes they do want to take time out to, to write up their stories or do their training, you know, and that's fine. But, you know, there it is really important and we do encourage, you know, all of our staff to, to make sure that they do spend time, you know, going out and having a break and getting away from the screen and not, having you know constant calls because it can affect you know your mental health and and uh and i think that <laughs> there's plenty of other times the ways to do things that was that was a very old picture <laughs> i was in a lot better shape then than i am now i can tell you brent toby listen fantastic thank you for joining me the first of our podcast series so twice a week join me talking to crime news quest where i will be speaking to characters, individuals, celebrities, and people who have been affected by crime. You'll hear their story direct and live when I talk to them about their situation. So join me, ask me questions, join us through the comments chat, and you will learn things. But not only that, because remember, every day is a school day, but also you'll enjoy it because it is fun. I'll make sure it is fun, but also educational. So twice a week, Join me, Talking True Crime, where I, will be, where I will be interviewing individuals who bring a fascinating story. Until next week, thank you.